Chapter 4 1. Eleanor awakened to find the blue room gray and colorless in the morning rain. She found that she had thrown the quilt off during the night and had finished sleeping in her usual manner with her head on the pillow. It was a surprise to find that she had slept until after eight, and she thought that it was ironic that the first good night's sleep she had had in years had come to her in Hill House. Lying in the blue bed, looking up into the dim ceiling with its remote carved pattern, she asked herself, half asleep still, What did I do? Did I make a fool of myself? Were they laughing at me? Thinking quickly over the evening before, she could remember only that she had, must have, seemed foolishly, childishly contented, almost happy. Had the others been amused to see that she was so simple? I said silly things, she told herself, and of course they noticed. Today, I will be more reserved, less openly grateful to all of them for having me. Then, awakening completely, she shook her head and sighed. You are a very silly baby, Eleanor, she told herself as she did every morning. The room came clearly alive around her. She was in the blue room at Hill House. The dimity curtains were moving slightly at the window, and the wild splashing in the bathroom must be Theodora, awake, sure to be dressed and ready first, certain to be hungry. Good morning, Eleanor called, and Theodora answering, gasping, Good morning. Through in a minute, I'll leave the tub filled for you. Are you starving? Because I am. Does she think I wouldn't bathe unless she left a tub full for me? Eleanor wondered and then was ashamed. I came here to stop thinking things like that, she told herself sternly, and rolled out of bed and went to the window. She looked out across the veranda roof to the wide lawn below with its bushes and little clumps of trees wound around with mist. Far down at the end of the lawn was the line of trees which marked the path to the creek, although the prospect of a jolly picnic on the grass was not, this morning, so appealing. It was clearly going to be wet all day, but it was a summer rain, deepening the green of the grass and the trees, sweetening and cleaning the air. It's charming, Eleanor thought, surprised at herself. She wondered if she was the first person ever to find Hill House charming, and then thought, chilled, or do they all think so, the first morning? She shivered, and found herself at the same time unable to account for the excitement she felt, which made it difficult to remember why it was so odd to wake up happy in Hill House. I'll starve to death. Theodora pounded on the bathroom door, and Eleanor snatched at her robe and hurried. Try to look like a stray sunbeam, Theodora called out from her room. It's such a dark day, we've got to be a little brighter than usual. Sing before breakfast, you'll cry before eight, Eleanor told herself, because she had been singing softly. In delay, there lies no plenty. I thought I was the lazy one, Theodora said complacently through the door. But you're much, much worse. Lazy hardly begins to describe you. You must be clean enough now to come and have breakfast. Mrs. Dudley sets out breakfast at nine. What will she think when we show up bright and smiling? She will sob with disappointment. Did anyone scream for her in the night, do you suppose? Eleanor regarded a soapy leg critically. I slept like a log, she said. So did I. If you are not ready in three minutes, I will come in and drown you. I want my breakfast. Eleanor was thinking that it had been a very long time since she had dressed to look like a stray sunbeam, or been so hungry for breakfast, or risen so aware, so conscious of herself, 
so deliberate and tender in her attentions. She even brushed her teeth with a niceness she could not remember ever feeling before. It is all the result of a good night's sleep, she thought. Since mother died, I must have been sleeping even more poorly than I realized. Aren't you ready yet? Coming, coming, Eleanor said and ran to the door, remembered that it was still locked and unlocked it softly. Theodora was waiting for her in the hall, vivid in the dullness and gaudy plaid. Looking at Theodora, it was not possible for Eleanor to believe that she ever dressed or washed or moved or ate or slept or talked without enjoying every minute of what she was doing. Perhaps Theodora never cared at all what other people thought of her. Do you realize that we may be another hour or so just finding the dining room? Theodora said. But maybe they have left us a map. Did you know that Luke and the doctor have been up for hours? I was talking to them from the window. They have started without me, Eleanor thought. Tomorrow I will wake up earlier and be there to talk from the window too. They came to the foot of the stairs and Theodora crossed the great dark hall and put her hand confidently to a door. Here, she said, but the door opened into a dim, echoing room neither of them had seen before. Here, Eleanor said, but the door she chose led onto the narrow passage to the little parlor where last night they had sat before a fire. It's across the hall from that, Theodora said and turned baffled. Damn it, she said and put her head back and shouted, Luke! Doctor? Distantly they heard an answering shout, and Theodora moved to open another door. If they think, she said over her shoulder, that they're going to keep me forever in this filthy hall, trying one door after another to get to my breakfast. That's the right one, I think, Eleanor said, with the dark room to go through, and then the dining room beyond. Theodora shouted again, blundered against some light piece of furniture, cursed, and then the door beyond was opened, and the doctor said, Good morning. Foul, filthy house, Theodora said, rubbing her knee. Good morning. You will never believe this now, of course, the doctor said, but three minutes ago these doors were wide open. We left them open so you could find your way. We sat here and watched them swing shut just before you called. Well, good morning. Kippers, Luke said from the table. Good morning. I hope you ladies are the kipper kind. They had come through the darkness of one night, they had met morning in Hill House, and they were a family, greeting one another with easy informality and going to the chairs they had used last night at dinner, their own places at the table. A fine breakfast is what Mrs. Dudley certainly agreed to set out at nine, Luke said, waving a fork. We'd begun to wonder if you were the coffee-and-a-roll-in-bed types. We would have been here much sooner in any other house, Theodora said. Did you really leave all the doors open for us? Eleanor asked. That's how we knew you were coming, Luke told her. We saw the doors swing shut. Today, we will nail all the doors open, Theodora said. I'm going to pace this house until I can find food ten times out of ten. I slept with my light on all night, she confided to the doctor, but nothing happened at all. It was all very quiet, the doctor said. Did you watch over us all night? Eleanor asked. Until about three, when Pamela finally put me to sleep. There wasn't a sound until the rain started some time after two. One of you ladies called out in her sleep once. Oh, that must have been me, Theodora said shamelessly, dreaming about the wicked sister at the gates of Hill House. I dreamed about her too, Eleanor said. She looked at the doctor and said suddenly, It's embarrassing to think about 
being afraid, I mean. We're all in it together, you know, Theodora said. It's worse if you try not to show it, the doctor said. Stuff yourself very full of kippers, Luke said. Then it will be impossible to feel anything at all. Eleanor felt, as she had the day before, that the conversation was being skillfully guided away from the thought of fear, so very present in her own mind. Perhaps she was to be allowed to speak occasionally for all of them, so that, quieting her, they quieted themselves and could leave the subject behind them. Perhaps, vehicle for every kind of fear, she contained enough for all. They are like children, she thought crossly, daring each other to go first, ready to turn and call names at whoever comes last. She pushed her plate away from her and sighed. Before I go to sleep tonight, Theodora was saying to the doctor, I want to be sure that I have seen every inch of this house. No more lying there, wondering what is over my head or under me, and we have to open some windows and keep the doors open and stop feeling our way around. Little signs, Luke suggested, arrows pointing, reading this way out. Or dead end, Eleanor said. Or watch out for falling furniture, Theodora said. We'll make them, she said to Luke. First, we all explore the house, Eleanor said. Too quickly, perhaps, because Theodore turned and looked at her curiously. I don't want to find myself left behind in an attic or something, Eleanor added uncomfortably. No one wants to leave you behind anywhere, Theodora said. Then I suggest, Luke said, that we first of all finish off the coffee in the pot and then go nervously from room to room, endeavoring to discover some rational plan to this house and leaving doors open as we go. I never thought, he said, shaking his head sadly, that I would stand to inherit a house where I had to put up signs to find my way around. We need to find out what to call the rooms, Theodora said. Suppose I told you, Luke, that I would meet you clandestinely in the second-best drawing room. How would you ever know where to find me? You could keep whistling till I got there, Luke offered. Theodora shuddered. You would hear me whistling and calling you while you wandered from door to door, never opening the right one, and I would be inside, not able to find any way to get out, and nothing to eat, Eleanor said unkindly. Theodora looked at her again. And nothing to eat, she agreed after a minute. Then, it's the crazy house at the carnival, she said. Rooms opening out of each other, and doors going everywhere at once, and swinging shut when you come. And I bet that somewhere there are mirrors that make you look all sideways, and an air hose to blow up your skirts, and something that comes out of a dark passage and laughs in your face. She was suddenly quiet and picked up her cup so quickly that her coffee spilled. Not as bad as all that, the doctor said easily. Actually, the ground floor is laid out in what I might almost call concentric circles of rooms. At the center is the little parlor where we sat last night. Around it, roughly, are a series of rooms, the billiard room, for instance, and a dismal little den entirely furnished in rose-colored satin, where Eleanor and I will go each morning with our needlework. And surrounding these, I call them the inside rooms because they are the ones with no direct way to the outside. They have no windows, you remember. Surrounding those are the ring of outside rooms. The drawing room, the library, the conservatory, the... No, Theodora said, shaking her head. I'm still lost back in the rose-colored satin. And the veranda goes all around the house. There are doors opening onto the veranda from the drawing room and the conservatory and one sitting room. There is also a passage... Stop! Stop! Theodora was laughing, but she shook her head. It's a filthy, rotten house. 
The swinging door in the corner of the dining room opened, and Mrs. Dudley stood, one hand holding the door open, looking without expression at the breakfast table. "'I clear off at ten, Mrs. Dudley said. "'Good morning, Mrs. Dudley,' Luke said. Mrs. Dudley turned her eyes to him. "'I clear off at ten, she said. "'The dishes are supposed to be back on the shelves. "'I take them out again for lunch. "'I set out lunch at one, but first the dishes have to be back on the shelves.' "'Of course, Mrs. Dudley.' The doctor rose and put down his napkin. "'Everybody ready?' he asked. Under Mrs. Dudley's eye, Theodora deliberately lifted her cup and finished the last of her coffee, then touched her mouth with her napkin and sat back. "'Splendid breakfast,' she said conversationally. "'Do the dishes belong to the house?' "'They belong on the shelves,' Mrs. Dudley said. "'And the glassware and the silver and the linen? Lovely old things.' "'The linen,' Mrs. Dudley said, "'belongs in the linen drawers in the dining-room. "'The silver belongs in the silver chest. "'The glasses belong on the shelves.' "'We must be quite a bother to you,' Theodora said. "'Mrs. Dudley was silent. "'Finally, she said, "'I clear up at ten. "'I set out lunch at one.' "'Theodora laughed and rose. "'On,' she said, "'on, on. "'Let us go and open doors.' They began reasonably enough with the dining-room door, which they propped open with a heavy chair. The room beyond was the game-room. The table against which Theodora had stumbled was a low inlaid chess table. Now, I could not have overlooked that last night, the doctor said irritably, and at one end of the room were card tables and chairs and a tall cabinet where the chessmen had been with croquet balls and the cribbage board. Jolly spot to spend a carefree hour, Luke said, standing in the doorway, regarding the bleak room. The cold greens of the tabletops were reflected unhappily in the dark tiles around the fireplace. The inevitable wood paneling was, here, not at all enlivened by a series of sporting prints which seemed entirely devoted to various methods of doing wild animals to death, and over the mantel a deer head looked down upon them in patent embarrassment. "'This is where they came to enjoy themselves,' Theodora said." and her voice echoed shakily from the high ceiling. They came here, she explained, to relax from the oppressive atmosphere of the rest of the house. The deer head looked down on her mournfully. Those two little girls, she said. Can we please take down that beast up there? I think it's taking a fancy to you, Luke said. It's never taken its eyes off you since you came in. <laughs> Let's get out of here. They propped the door open as they left, and came out into the hall, which shone dully under the light from the open rooms. "'When we find a room with a window,' the doctor remarked, "'we will open it. Until then, let us be content with opening the front door.' "'You keep thinking of the little children,' Eleanor said to Theodora. "'But I can't forget that lonely little companion walking around these rooms, wondering who else was in the house.' Luke tugged the great front door open and wheeled the big vase to hold it. Fresh air, he said thankfully. The warm smell of rain and wet grass swept into the hall, and for a minute they stood in the open doorway, breathing air from outside Hill House. Then the doctor said, Now, here is something none of you anticipated. And he opened a small door tucked in beside the tall front door and stood back smiling. The library, he said, in the tower. I can't go in there, Eleanor said, surprising herself, but... She could not. She backed away, overwhelmed with the cold air of mold and earth which rushed at her. My mother, 
she said, not knowing what she wanted to tell them, and pressed herself against the wall. "'Indeed,' said the doctor, regarding her with interest. "'Theodora?' Theodora shrugged and stepped into the library. Eleanor shivered. "'Luke?' said the doctor. But Luke was already inside. From where she stood, Eleanor could see only a part of the circular wall of the library, with a narrow iron staircase going up and, perhaps, since it was the tower, up and up and up. Eleanor shut her eyes, hearing the doctor's voice distantly, hollow against the stone of the library walls. "'Can you see the little trap door up there in the shadows?' he was asking. "'It leads out onto a little balcony, and, of course, that's where she is commonly supposed to have hanged herself. The girl, you remember.' A most suitable spot, certainly. More suitable for suicides, I would think, than for books. She is supposed to have tied the rope onto the iron railing and then just... Stepped... Thanks, Theodora said from within. I can visualize it perfectly, thank you. For myself, I would probably have anchored the rope onto the deer head in the game room, but I suppose she had some sentimental attachment to the tower. What a nice word attachment is in that context, don't you think? Delicious. It was Luke's voice, louder. They were coming out of the library and back to the hall where Eleanor waited. I think that I'll make this room into a nightclub. I will put the orchestra up there on the balcony and dancing girls will come down that winding iron staircase. The bar Eleanor, Theodora said, are you all right now? It's a perfectly awful room and you were right to stay out of it. Eleanor stood away from the wall. Her hands were cold and she wanted to cry but she turned her back to the library door, which the doctor propped open with a stack of books. I don't think I'll do much reading while I'm here, she said, trying to speak lightly. Not if the books smell like the library. I hadn't noticed the smell, the doctor said. He looked inquiringly at Luke, who shook his head. Odd, the doctor went on, and just the kind of thing we're looking for. Make a note of it, my dear, and try to describe it exactly. Theodora was puzzled. She stood in the hallway, turning, looking behind her at the staircase, and then around again at the front door. "'Are there two front doors?' she asked. "'Am I just mixed up?' The doctor smiled happily. He had clearly been hoping for some such question. "'This is the only front door,' he said. "'It is the one you came in yesterday.' Theodora frowned. "'Then why can't Eleanor and I see the tower from our bedroom windows?' Our rooms look out over the front of the house, and yet... The doctor laughed and clapped his hands. At last, he said. Clever, Theodora. This is why I wanted you to see the house by day. Come, sit on the stairs while I tell you. Obediently, they settled on the stairs, looking up at the doctor, who took on his lecturing stance and began formally. One of the peculiar traits of Hill House is its design. Crazy house at the carnival. Precisely. Have you not wondered at our extreme difficulty in finding our way around? An ordinary house would not have had the four of us in such confusion for so long, and yet time after time we choose the wrong doors, the room we want eludes us. Even I have had my troubles. He sighed and nodded. I dare say, he went on, that old Hugh Crane expected that someday Hill House might become a showplace, like the Winchester House in California or the many octagon houses. He designed Hill House himself, remember, and I have told you before he was a strange man. Every angle, and the doctor gestured towards the doorway, every angle is slightly wrong. Hugh Crane must have detested other people in their sensible, squared-away houses, 
because he made his house to suit his mind. Angles which you assume are the right angles you are accustomed to and have every right to expect are true are actually a fraction of a degree off in one direction or another. I am sure, for instance, that you believe that the stairs you are sitting on are level because you are not prepared for stairs which are not level. They moved uneasily, and Theodora put a quick hand to take hold of the balustrade, as though she felt she might be falling, or actually on a very slight slant towards the central shaft. The doorways are all a very little bit off-center. That may be, by the way, the reason the doors swing shut unless they are held. I wondered this morning whether the approaching footsteps of you two ladies upset the delicate balance of the doors. Of course, the result of all these tiny aberrations of measurement adds up to a fairly large distortion in the house as a whole. Theodora cannot see the tower from her bedroom window because the tower actually stands at the corner of the house. From Theodora's bedroom window, it is completely invisible, although from here it seems to be directly outside her room. The window of Theodora's room is actually 15 feet to the left of where we are now. Theodora spread her hands helplessly. Golly, she said. I see, Eleanor said. The veranda roof is what misleads us. I can look out my window and see the veranda roof, and because I came directly into the house and up the stairs, I assume that the front door was right below, although really... You see only the veranda roof, the doctor said. The front door is far away. It and the tower are visible from the nursery, which is the big room at the end of the hallway. We will see it later today. It is, and his voice was saddened, a masterpiece of architectural misdirection. The double stairway at Chambord, then everything is a little bit off-center? Theodora asked uncertainly. That's why it all feels so disjointed? What happens when you go back to a real house? Eleanor asked. I mean, uh, well, a real house. Must be like coming off shipboard, Luke said. After being here for a while, your sense of balance could be so distorted that it would take you a while to lose your sea legs, or your hill house legs. Could it be, he asked the doctor, that what people have been assuming were supernatural manifestations were really only the result of a slight loss of balance in the people who live here? The, the inner ear, he told Theodora wisely. It must certainly affect people in some way, the doctor said. We have grown to trust blindly in our senses of balance and reason, and I can see where the mind might fight wildly to preserve its own familiar stable patterns against all evidence that it was leaning sideways. He turned away. We have marvels still before us, he said, and they came down from the stairway and followed him, walking gingerly, testing the floors as they moved. They went down the narrow passage to the little parlor where they had sat the night before, and from there, leaving doors propped open behind them, they moved into the outer circle of rooms which looked out onto the veranda. They pulled heavy draperies away from windows, and the light from outside came into Hill House. They passed through a music room where a harp stood sternly apart from them, with never a jangle of strings to mark their footfalls. A grand piano stood tightly shut, with a candelabra above, no candle ever touched by flame. A marble-topped table held wax flowers under glass, and the chairs were twig-thin and gilded. Beyond this was the conservatory, with tall glass doors showing them the rain outside and ferns growing damply around and over wicker furniture. Here it was uncomfortably moist, and they left it quickly to come through an arched doorway into the drawing room and stand aghast and ridiculous. It's 
not there, Theodora said, weak and laughing. I don't believe it's there. She shook her head. Eleanor, do you see it too? How? How? Eleanor said helplessly. I thought you would be pleased. The doctor was complacent. One entire end of the drawing room was in possession of a marble statuary piece. Against the mauve stripes and flowered carpet, it was huge and grotesque and somehow whitely naked. Eleanor put her hands over her eyes and Theodora clung to her. I thought it might be intended for Venus rising from the waves, the doctor said. Not at all, said Luke, finding his voice. It's St. Francis curing the lepers. No, no, Eleanor said. One of them is a dragon. It's none of that, said Theodora roundly. It's a family portrait, you sillies. Composite. Anyone would know it at once. That figure in the center, that tall, undraped, good heavens, masculine one, that's old Hugh patting himself on the back because he built Hill House, and his two attendant nymphs are his daughters. The one on the right, who seems to be brandishing an ear of corn, is actually telling about her lawsuit, and the other one, the little one on the end, is the companion, and the one on the other end is Mrs. Dudley, done from life, Luke said. And that grass stuff they're all standing on is really supposed to be the dining room carpet grown up a little. Did anyone else notice that dining room carpet? It looks like a field of hay, and you can feel it tickling your ankles. In the background, that kind of overspreading apple tree kind of thing, that's a symbol of the protection of the house, surely, Dr. Montague said. I'd hate to think it might fall on us, Eleanor said. Since the house is so unbalanced, Doctor, isn't there some chance of that? I have read that the statue was carefully and at great expense, constructed to offset the uncertainty of the floor on which it stands. It was put in, at any rate, when the house was built, and it has not fallen yet. It is possible, you know, that Hugh Crane admired it, even found it lovely. It is also possible that he used it to scare his children with, Theodora said. What a pretty room this would be without it. She turned, swinging. A dancing room, she said, for ladies in full skirts, and room enough for a full country dance. Hugh Crane, will you take a turn with me? And she curtsied to the statue. I believe he's going to accept, Eleanor said, taking an involuntary step backwards. Don't let him tread on your toes, the doctor said and laughed. Remember what happened to Don Juan. Theodora touched the statue timidly, putting her finger against the outstretched hand of one of the figures. Marble is always a shock, she said. It never feels like you think it's going to. I suppose a life-size statue looks enough like a real person to make you expect to feel skin. Then, turning again and shimmering in the dim room, she waltzed alone, turning to bow to the statue. At the end of the room, the doctor said to Eleanor and Luke, under those draperies are doors leading onto the veranda. When Theodora is heated from dancing, she may step into the cooler air. He went the length of the room to pull aside the heavy blue draperies and open the door. Again, the smell of the warm rain came in and a burst of wind so that a little breath seemed to move across the statue and lightly touched the colored walls. Nothing in this house moves, Eleanor said, until you look away and then you just catch something from the corner of your eye. Look at the little figurines on the shelves. When we all had our backs turned, they were dancing with Theodora. I move. Theodora said, circling towards them. Flowers under glass, Luke said. Tassels. I'm beginning to fancy this house. 
Theodora pulled at Eleanor's hair. Raise you around the veranda, she said, and darted for the doors. Eleanor, with no time for hesitation or thought, followed, and they ran out onto the veranda. Eleanor, running and laughing, came around a curve of the veranda to find Theodora going in through another door, and stopped, breathless. They had come to the kitchen, and Mrs. Dudley, turning away from the sink, watched them silently. "'Mrs. Dudley,' Theodora said politely, "'we've been exploring the house.' Mrs. Dudley's eyes moved to the clock on the shelf over the stove. "'It is half-past eleven, she said. "'I set lunch at one,' Theodora said. "'We'd like to look over the kitchen, if we may. "'We've seen all the other downstairs rooms, I think.' Mrs. Dudley was still for a moment, and then moving her head acquiescently, turned and walked deliberately across the kitchen to a farther doorway. When she opened it, they could see the back stairs beyond, and Mrs. Dudley turned and closed the door behind her before she started up. Theodora cocked her head at the doorway and waited a minute before she said, I wonder if Mrs. Dudley has a soft spot in her heart for me. I really do. I suppose she's gone up to hang herself from the turret, Eleanor said. Let's see what's for lunch while we're here. Don't joggle anything, Theodora said. You know perfectly well that the dishes belong on the shelves. Do you think that woman really means to make us a souffle? Here is certainly a souffle dish, and eggs and cheese. It's a nice kitchen, Eleanor said. In my mother's house, the kitchen was dark and narrow, and nothing you cook there ever had any taste or color. What about your own kitchen? Theodora asked absently, in your little apartment. Eleanor, look at the doors. I can't make a souffle, Eleanor said. Look, Eleanor, there's the door onto the veranda, and another that opens onto steps going down, to the cellar, I guess, and another over there going onto the veranda again, and the one she used to go upstairs, and another one over there, to the veranda again, Eleanor said, opening it. Three doors going out onto the veranda from one kitchen, and the door to the butler's pantry, and on into the dining room. Our good Mrs. Dudley likes doors, doesn't she? She can certainly, and their eyes met, get out fast in any direction if she wants to. Eleanor turned abruptly and went back to the veranda. I wonder if she had Dudley cut extra doors for her. I wonder how she likes working in a kitchen where a door behind her might open without her knowing it. I wonder, actually, just what Mrs. Dudley is in the habit of meeting in her kitchen so that she wants to make sure that she'll find a way out no matter which direction she runs. I wonder... Shut up, Theodora said amiably. A nervous cook can't make a good souffle. Anyone knows that, and she's probably listening on the stairs. Let us choose one of her doors and leave it open behind us. Luke and the doctor were standing on the veranda looking out over the lawn. The front door was oddly close beyond them. Behind the house, seeming almost overhead, the great hills were muted and dull in the rain. Eleanor wandered along the veranda, thinking that she had never before known a house so completely surrounded. Like a very tight belt, she thought. Would the house fly apart if the veranda came off? She went what she thought must be the greater part of the circle around the house, and then she saw the tower. It rose up before her suddenly, almost without warning, as she came around the curve of the veranda. It was made of gray stone, grotesquely solid, jammed hard against the wooden side of the house with the insistent veranda holding it there. Hideous, she thought, and then thought that if the house burned away some day, the tower would still stand, gray and forbidding over the ruins, warning people away from what was left of Hill House, 
with perhaps a stone fallen here and there, so owls and bats might fly in and out and nest among the books below. Halfway up, windows began, thin angled slits in the stone, and she wondered what it would be like looking down from them, and wondered that she had not been able to enter the tower. I will never look down from those windows, she thought, and tried to imagine the narrow iron stairway going up and around inside. High on top was a conical wooden roof topped by a wooden spire. It must have been laughable in any other house, but here in Hill House it belonged, gleeful and expectant, awaiting perhaps a slight creature creeping out from the little window onto the slanted roof, reaching up to the spire, knotting a rope. "'You'll fall,' Luke said, and Eleanor gasped. She brought her eyes down with an effort and found that she was gripping the veranda rail tightly and leaning far backward. "'Don't trust your balance in my charming hill house,' Luke said, and Eleanor breathed deeply, dizzy, and staggered. He caught her and held her while she tried to steady herself in the rocking world where the trees and the lawn seemed somehow tilted sideways and the sky turned and swung. "'Eleanor?' Theodore said nearby, and she heard the sound of the doctor's feet running along the veranda. "'This damnable house,' Luke said. "'You have to watch it every minute.' "'Eleanor?' said the doctor. "'I'm all right,' Eleanor said, shaking her head and standing unsteadily by herself. "'I was leaning back to see the top of the tower, and I got dizzy.' "'She was standing almost sideways when I caught her,' Luke said. "'I've had that feeling once or twice this morning,' Theodora said, as though I was walking up the wall. "'Bring her back inside,' the doctor said. "'It's not so bad when you're inside the house.' "'I'm really all right,' Eleanor said, very much embarrassed." and she walked with deliberate steps along the veranda to the front door, which was closed. "'I thought we left it open,' she said with a little shake in her voice, and the doctor came past her and pushed the heavy door open again. Inside, the hall had returned to itself. All the doors they had left open were neatly closed. When the doctor opened the door into the game room, they could see beyond him that the doors to the dining room were closed, and the little stool they had used to prop one door open was neatly back in its place against the wall. In the boudoir and the drawing room, the parlor and the conservatory, the doors and windows were closed, the draperies pulled together, and the darkness back again. It's Mrs. Dudley, Theodora said, trailing after the doctor and Luke, who moved quickly from one room to the next, pushing doors wide open again and propping them, sweeping drapes away from windows and letting in the warm, wet air. Mrs. Dudley did it yesterday, as soon as Eleanor and I were out of the way, because she'd rather shut them herself than come along and find them shut by themselves, because the doors belong shut, and the windows belong shut, and the dishes belong... She began to laugh foolishly, and the doctor turned and frowned at her with irritation. Mrs. Dudley had better learn her place, he said. I will nail these doors open if I have to. He turned down the passageway to their little parlor and sent the door swinging open with a crash. "'Losing my temper will not help,' he said, and gave the door a vicious kick. "'Sherry in the parlor before lunch,' Luke said amiably. "'Ladies, enter.' 